You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, friends. Honored and privileged to have you here with me. There are only a few names that you can think of from American history that we are all supposed to, that we all have some degree of reverence for, right? That, that we're supposed to believe, no matter who you are, where you come from in this country, you're supposed to think, well, that, that's a great man. There are only a few names where that is the case. And you can start with the Founding Fathers, the people on Mount Rushmore, and you would add uh, Martin Luther King Jr., and you beat some people would add, I, I don't know, you, you know, there, there are a handful of these names out there that when someone says, who's, who's a great American, and we can all agree on it, there are only a handful of names that come to mind. And for a lot of people, they were at least under the impression until recently that Abraham Lincoln was one of them, that Abraham Lincoln would be free from cancel culture, that this would be a guy that we could all agree did something pretty extraordinary and wasn't perfect by any means. But at the end of the day, he was on the right side and was the commander in chief of a military uh, that ended slavery in the United States. And that's a pretty remarkable thing. So we tend to give him a lot of plaudits for this. And as we know, he was assassinated afterwards for it. And, but Abraham Lincoln would be one of those names where you'd say, well, the greatness of what he accomplished with the ending of slavery, the greatness that he accomplished with all of this, uh, wouldn't that then make him at least somewhat immune to these efforts to destroy historical figures based upon some perception of what they should be that's constantly changing and very new to our current moment but then i bring you the modern american lib the left the democrats and their wokeness their psychological disorder known as wokeness and we have yet another example of just how far that will go you have abraham lincoln as a name that a san francisco high school board or some kind of a committee that's looking to rename schools and it's in San Fran and, and they want to get rid of Abraham Lincoln's name from a school because he was, I believe the quote is insufficiently committed to uh, black lives mattering or, or to the, the matter of, of black lives. Now for the man that ordered hundreds of thousands of Americans uh, to their deaths or to extreme pain, mutilation, uh, being wounded on the battlefield to end slavery, to say that he was insufficiently committed to uh, black lives mattering w- would seem to be the height of insanity. And, and it is. But there is a reason behind all of this. So we need to start examining what's really going on in this country, because we're at this point where we're told that the Democrats are calling for unity, that Joe Biden and his would be cabinet they're saying unify and as we know unify really means bend the knee to me do what i say and we'll call it unity but while they're calling for this we also see time and again they don't particularly have any sense of unity to america as we know it there's something very different going on and it usually is incremental that this happens. They start with something where we say, OK, fine, you know, 
And this is why when there was that whole dust up about about Confederate generals, I was saying, look, I'm I'm not somebody that is going to carry any any water for the keep up some of these Confederate generals statue side of this brief. It's, you know, it's a community decision, a community standard. But understand this. They're coming for the founding fathers next. In fact, Donald Trump said at the time, well, what about Jefferson and what about Washington? Are they going to are they going to tear down those statues? There is here in New York City. I, I've seen this on many nights because I, I go for walks sometimes right near what is known as Columbus Circle, named for Christopher Columbus. It's a very large, very prominent statue of Christopher Columbus. There is an army of NYPD officers that are deployed in a huge circle with barricades and and they've got uh, they've got all kinds of additional ESU and vehicles deployed. It's it's crazy. And I've asked the cops, I've said, is this really because you guys are worried that one night the radical left is just going to show up and destroy this statue of Christopher Columbus? And they said, yes, absolutely. That is why we are deployed here. And this is in one of the ritzier parts of new york city it's outside the time warner center so even de blasio realizes this would get some attention but they say that columbus was a a a genocidal essentially a genocidal maniac who was engaged in the exploitation of humanity and so on and so forth they don't care that we celebrate columbus for discovering the new world for uh, europe and the rest of the world They, they don't care about that that's not that's not enough And as we see with Abraham Lincoln, it's not enough that he was the commander in chief and the president who led us into war, a war that did end slavery in this country and that he called for the freeing of the slaves during that war. Um, What's really happening here? There is an essay that I came across. I've never I've never even heard of this publication before, and I haven't heard of this author before, but I thought this essay was extraordinary and i read constantly uh the commentary all over the web and i'm always looking to see uh who who's worth reading because most of it 90 percent of what's published on the internet even by so-called conservatives or whatever is really it's repetitive it's an echo chamber it's just not worth spending much time on at least for me uh, as someone who's reading this stuff all day long this was really good uh this uh, it was at unheard.com And the author is Matthew Crawford, who is a fellow at the Institute for Advanced Studies in Culture at the University of Virginia. The title is How Race Politics Liberated the Elites. And this is absolutely top notch analysis. Um, It's it's phenomenal, really. It's a really, really strong piece. And here, let me give you some of what we're talking about here. Um. And, and why this, I think, defines our current moment for the Democrat Party and for the left. The idea of a common good, this is a quote from the piece, has given way to a partition of citizens along the lines of a moral hierarchy. Instead of feeling bound up in a shared fate with one's country one, a countrymen, one develops an alternate, uh, alternate solidarity that is placeless. The relatability across national borders that the genteel folk feel in one another's company, the gracious ease and trust, the shared points of reference in high prestige opinion has something to do with their uniformly high standing in the moral hierarchy that divides citizen 
uh, from citizen within their own nations. The decision making class has discovered that it enjoys the mandate of heaven. And with this comes certain permissions, certain exemptions from democratic scruple. This is spot on. Uh, This is excellent. He's talking about how in our country now, because America, I mean, the short version of this is that because America, according to the left now, is inherently racist and misogynist, it gives the elites, it gives this ruling class a mentality that they owe no allegiance to that entity, to America at least to the idea, to the ideals of traditional America. They have something better. They're working for something better. And so there's no need for them to debase themselves by pretending that our flag-waving, jingoistic, we love the founding fathers in the Constitution nonsense should in any way slow their role. They get to do whatever they want. They know better. You see, they're above it. But this is this is a version of something I've said to you many times before. There are those of us who take tremendous pride in being American. And then there are those of us who take pride in believing we are better than America. And those are called liberals. Those are leftists. That's what they are. That's how they think. The reason that they're constantly encouraging the most toxic identity politics, racial politics, gender politics. The reason they do this is because they've adopted a philosophy that America is actually bad, that there is this moral rot at the center of this country. They've identified it. It's almost like they stumbled upon some secret knowledge and now they're spreading this great wisdom to all the rest of us. And anyone who rejects this, anyone who sees this for the intense hypocrisy that it is, is shouted down part of the patriarchy, part of the racist, misogynistic system. And also it gives the people at the top a total pass for not working for what we think of as the common good, not working for what we consider to be universal American values. They can live their lives. This is why they can fly on private jets to climate change conferences where they're going to talk about how you should be, you know, walking three miles or biking 10 miles to work every day. Can't put all that CO2 in the air. Well, they're above you. You see, they're working for this better world, this better place. You are part of this traditional America that's just so racist and misogynistic and and so awful. And so this. This goes way beyond even uh, way beyond the the usual liberal hypocrisy. This is a kind of religion of elites excellence and they are devotees of it. And they also get to think of themselves as great heroes for for standing up for the oppressed. I mean, how many of you does this sound like your smug neighbor who has a big Biden Harris sign in their yard? Right. Don't they always think that they're somehow so morally enlightened, even if their own personal choices are really crappy and even if they don't really care about other people or help them very much, but they stand for equality. In fact, these days they stand for equity, the preferred term, which is just equality of outcome, which is Marxism. Back into this piece for a second, quote, in the revolt of the elites, Christopher Lash spelled out in greater detail 
the role that claims of racial and sexual oppression play in securing release from allegiance to the nation, not just for those who identify as its victims, but for those with the moral sensitivity to see victimization where it may not be apparent and who make this capacity a touchstone of their identity. It becomes a token of moral elevation by which we recognize one another and distinguish ourselves from the broader run of citizens. Both Lash and Hannah Arendt argue that black Americans serve a crucial function for the white bourgeoisie. As the emblem and proof of America's illegitimacy, they anchor a politics of repudiation in which the idea of a common good has little purchase. End quote. Saying all those elitist, white, college-educated, liberal Democrats out there, the libs, who are always talking about, about racism. They don't do anything to solve racism. They don't spend any time in black-majority neighborhoods. They don't really know what's going on within the black community, but they love pointing out the racism all around them all the time, even where there's no actual racism sometimes. They do this because by demeaning traditional America, American values, by saying that this place is racist and wrong and evil, they're not bound by the generally held conceptions of what makes a good American citizen these these days because they know better. They're above it. They're elevated beyond it. Doesn't this all sound exactly like the ethos, the modern philosophy of a Democrat? Don't you all have friends that are just like this? They've never actually been in a high crime uh, majority minority neighborhood for more than a couple of hours or maybe driving through it. But they want to give you lectures about BLM. That's right. They want to lecture you about BLM from their million dollar house in an all white suburb. These are the kind of libs we're talking about here. The ones who are frauds, the ones who are fakes. How do they get away with this in their own minds? This is how. They don't take pride in being Americans. They think they are better than America. They know better than America. And they want to transform this place in this image. And that's what we are facing now going forward. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest news and information from Buck by heading to BuckSexton.com. How Race Politics Liberated the Elites by Matthew Crawford. Unheard.com is the site. And I just I thought this was a, a fascinating analysis. And I like to give people credit when they do something like this that really advances the conversation. Other people just like to rip people off and pretend it's theirs. No, I want I want Matthew Crawford to get the high five he deserves for this. And he, he goes on. And, and I think we have to remember there's a a another way to prove this analysis or this line of thinking, the legitimacy, the, the integrity of this philosophical approach, because it's not only in America that this actually has now spread. It's gone beyond American borders. So you'd think that the, the left's unique revulsion at the longstanding history of slavery in this country and then uh, Jim Crow and segregation. And, you know, they say that they're they're confronting that even today. That's what the left will tell you. But yet there are BLM protests in London, in Paris, in Germany. And the author points this out. This illegitimacy 
transcends any particular historical facts about slavery and segregation. It indeed transcends America, as one can surmise, by the ease with with which American grievance politics have been exported throughout the Western world. In this, we sometimes see the use of historical American references that have been weirdly transposed as when a house once lived in by Rosa Parks was relocated from Detroit to Berlin, the financial seat of the European Union. Under the empire of Christendom, the market for material relics from the Passion of the Christ was similarly global. They left the Holy Land and ended up in various seats of earthly power. Most recently, the transatlantic festival of George Floyd attests to the fact that it isn't simply America that stands accused. The social order is corrupt then. The labor movement once had an alternative order to offer in its stead, drawing on the socialist tradition. It was one that included African-Americans, not as African-Americans, but as workers. And this movement was fairly successful. Uh, What happened then? The prominence of the term repressed in the 1960s is is significant and marks a shift into a new terrain of uh, psychologized politics. The object of attack for the new left was no longer laissez-faire capitalism, but society. The Freudian superego, more or less, with its insistence on standards of behavior that are binding on all. Society is to be taken as inherently oppressive and discredited in the name of liberation. Effectively, America is so oppressive, racist, evil, gender discriminatory. It's such a bad place that the left can completely rewrite the rules of what we should be trying to achieve in this country. And on a personal level, they feel no particular allegiance to traditional America, and they feel like their actions are always justified because they're working for this greater idealized future. Isn't this every lib you know? Isn't this every smug Biden voter you've come across in the last year or so? I'm sure there are some exceptions, but I'm betting it's most of them. Just to finish this up, quote, if the ideal of a demoralized public sphere was a signature aspiration of liberal secularism, it seems we have entered a post-secular age. Populism happened because it became widely noticed that we have transitioned from a liberal society to something that more closely resembles a a corrupt theocracy, end quote. Yeah, this is the religion of the elites we are talking about. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast. I've been saying for four years now that it's a certainty that Barack Obama, when he was president, knew that his administration on the way out was running a essentially a spying and uh and, and disinformation campaign against the incoming Trump administration. It's obvious. There's no way that Comey and Brennan and Clapper and go down the list. There's no way that they would have been able to, that they would have felt comfortable doing this stuff if they didn't feel like ultimately they had cover from Obama for it, that he had at least been informed. And you'd say, well, how does that protect them? They would say they went through chain of command. This is how bureaucracies avoid accountability. No one is ever really accountable for anything because everyone's accountable for everything. That's the way they do it. So they just say, well, I I didn't I approve this FISA, but somebody else wrote up the FISA. 
Well, I wrote up the FISA, but somebody else provided the raw material, the raw information I used for the FISA. Well, I approved it, but somebody else was supposed to review it. Right. So no one ever really gets nailed, but they all know what they're doing. Right. They're all part of what, what is uh, almost like a federal government racketeering operation. You know, that's that's what you see happening here. They're all they're all a part of it. You want to bring like a RICO charge against them because it's a, a multi-layered conspiracy. And that is exactly what Russia collusion was. And I understand right now there's frustration because the Durham probe has not resulted in even a report. And I knew it wasn't going to happen on a timeline for the election because ultimately guys like Durham, guys like Bill Barr, they understand the politics involved here. And they're not they for whatever for their own reasons, for their own ethical choices and decisions, they will not bend the rules to be more political. They won't do it. They also maybe won't allow the other side to get away with doing it, but they themselves will not will not bend the rules in order to score political points. So they weren't going to accelerate the Durham probe. That's what I'm telling you. But now it's been it's been designated as a special counsel. And as we know, the Democrats will just say, oh, who cares? We'll get rid of that as soon as there's a Biden, uh, a Biden presidency. It will be more difficult, though, and it will give us something to work with and perhaps even escalate to where the Republicans are talking about impeachment. And I'm just going to say this. I, I believe in using all the tactics and all the the stratagems that the left engaged in against Trump. I think that we should hold them to their standards going forward, which means the bar for a Joe Biden, a Joe Biden presidency for impeachment, for special counsel. It's very low, very low. They've told us that phone call that Trump had with his Ukrainian counterpart. If that can get you impeached, Joe Biden better watch his step the moment the Republicans take back the House majority. And I'm not going to stand in their way. I'm going to be cheering them on saying, yep, let's go for it. What's good for one side, good for the other. The only way to make them think twice about the kinds of underhanded tactics they use is to make them live by those tactics. It's the only way. Now let's get back to what the former president Obama knew and hat tip Sean Davis of the Federalist.com for this piece. DNI declassifies handwritten notes from John Brennan, 2016 CIA referral on Clinton campaign's collusion operation. Here's what he writes, quote, on Tuesday, Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe declassified and released to Congress handwritten notes from CIA Director Brennan, as well as a CIA investigative referral to James Comey and Peter Strzok requesting that they investigate Russian knowledge of Hillary Clinton's anti-Trump collusion smear operation. He goes on. Top U.S. intelligence officials were so concerned heading into the 2016 election that the Russians were aware of and potentially manipulating Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's plans to smear Donald Trump as a Russian agent that they personally briefed President Barack Obama on the matter. Newly declassified Central Intelligence Agency documents show. CIA officials also requested that the FBI investigate Russian knowledge of the Clinton campaign's collusion smear operation. Newly declassified handwritten notes from the former CIA director John Brennan show the U.S. intelligence community knew in 2016 that Russian intelligence was actively monitoring and potentially injecting disinformation into Clinton's anti-Trump collusion narrative. The intelligence concerning Russia's knowledge of Clinton campaign plans was so concerning to Brennan and other national security officials 
that they personally informed Obama of the matter in the Oval Office in the summer of 2016. These are handwritten notes from CIA Director Brennan. So they were telling the president then, Barack Obama, they were telling him, yeah, there's Russian disinformation stuff going on here. We got real concerns about this, but, uh, you know, maybe we could also use this. Maybe we run with this. See, that's what the decision was. This would be something like if a person came in and said, you know, I know, I know that uh, that, you know, John, my neighbor assassinated, not John Wilkes Booth, obviously, John, my neighbor assassinated Abraham Lincoln. I mean, you could walk into a into a police station and, you know, there's no statute of limitations on murder. So, you know, they would usually say, "Okay, let's a, a normal reaction would be let's take this person for psychological evaluation or maybe you just ignore them and say get out of here buddy but it's not always the case that people will act ethically when they're presented with information that a normal analysis would tell them is absurd and so it also provides an opportunity for the unscrupulous they can use that as the basis for an investigation that's exactly what they did in russiagate All this stuff was being said, all these rumors, they had no real evidence at all. And there was Russian disinformation out there. And they figured, well, what if we just rely on the Russian disinformation and pretend that we believe it? And maybe we do a little bit, but not really, but maybe. And then we start monitoring, investigating, spying on the Trump campaign. Right. This would be like your neighbor, John, all of a sudden has police officers banging on his door saying we have a. You know, we have a report that you assassinated Abraham Lincoln. They they could do that. Right. I mean, they they could say that. I mean, maybe in that case, the the case was never opened. It's not their jurisdiction. But you get what I'm saying. right? I mean, you know, they they, they could they could come to you. And and if you were accused of, of a murder in California when you were actually in Omaha, Nebraska, and the police knew that they could still continue the investigation of you. They could still say, well, you know, it's not totally. Not totally proven yet, but we rely at some level on good faith operations from people who have this kind of power. If you're willing to abuse good faith, you can find a justification to investigate anyone you want for anything you want. That's exactly what Obama and all the clowns around him did. Now we know Obama knew about this and Obama never spoke out. He would have known that there was Russian disinformation, that the Russians were actively trying to lie about Trump to get this whole story of stealing the election and and Trump working with the Russians. Uh, He would have known that it was all out there. Did he ever speak out about this? Obama, right? The great patriot, the guy who loves the country so much. I mean, if you read the reviews of his most recent autobiography, because I think he's got four now, at least three. You read the reviews. I've never seen such uh, sycophantic rantings from people who at least ostensibly make a living from telling people important truths that they may not want to hear in the media. Right. They don't really make a living doing that. But that is that is what they say. Um, They love Obama in a way they've never loved any politician. The Democrats and the mainstream Democrat Party and its elites and intelligentsia think that Barack Obama is really above human, not quite a God, but not quite a human being either. He's something even more special than that. And they were never going to push him on. Why didn't you out of love for your country? 
come forward and say, hey, guys, th- this stuff about Trump being a Russian traitor, it really is really not. It's really not true. We should. There's a lot of other reasons that we as Democrats don't like this guy, but that's not what. No, of course not. He was silent about it. Pretend that he didn't know anything about it. Man, I don't know. You know, just it's just the intelligence community, man. There's no politics here. It's just the IC doing what they do. That's what they tell us. That's what they claim. It's all a lie. Uh, we are heading into this period in American politics where I think they hope the left and the Democrats hope that they can bend us to their will about what we even remember, that the brainwashing will extend well beyond their most ardent supporters to people who are just trying to keep up with what's going on. And they are overwhelmed by the propaganda machine. So let me just tell you right now, let's let's get this for our purposes on the record so we can remember this. Barack Obama knew about the Russia collusion smear against Trump, almost certainly ordered it to escalate. He definitely knew about it, and he did nothing to stop it as completely unethical. Political assassin Democrats went after the Trump administration with this lie for years. It is the worst political scandal of my lifetime. It's a disgrace. And all this stuff about respect our democracy and give up Trump and all this other stuff is coming from people who do not give a crap about the ideals or the rules or the aspirations enshrined in the Constitution and in the history of this republic. They could care less about any of that. The raw exercise of power. Me, me, me. I want mine. I'm right. I'm a lib. You be quiet. The media agrees with me. That is how they view all of this. So get ready for that going forward. Don't expect any good faith operations from their side. They feel like they largely got away with this, which means they'll try similar stuff in the future. And the only way that we can push back is by shouting the truth in their faces and refusing to bend when they try to coerce us with even more lies. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. As we've been talking here, it's hardly a profile encouraged from McConnell to come out and say this now. His delay has had a real-world impact and been physically dangerous for some people so around true. the country, which we'll talk about uh, over the course of this broadcast. What? What, CNN, what kind of craziness is CNN saying now? It's been physically dangerous what's going on. It's physically dangerous to people for McConnell to that. No, it's not. The guy hadn't been declared the president by the Electoral College. That's when he's the president-elect. You know, what's next? The media's going to say, you have to declare the winner of the presidency before the actual election happens. Look at the polls, man. Look at the polls. Well, that's not how it works, is it? As we know, you better not trust those polls. Just remember this. Look at, look at a, just a, a series of, of issues from, from recent times. Whether it is on this election or it's on the BLM movement, the renaming of statues, uh, police reform, all, all of these issues. The people that try to that try to bend the knee to the left in the hopes that this will bring them closer to our side and will open dialogue and the Democrats will all of a sudden respond in good faith. They're always disappointed because when they're making outlandish demands or they're they're basing their whole argument in lies in misrepresentations and you say, 
okay, okay, but they're so angry about this, fine, we'll give them, it's like, it's like giving a child throwing a tantrum what he wants. It's not going to get better. Now they know, oh, okay, so we just, we just throw another tantrum. Great. Okay, we can do that again. This is the only way you can deal with the left. You, you make overtures to the Democrats when it is in our interests and within our principles and when it shows good faith from their side. That's it. You don't do it because you hope they'll be less crazy once you've given them something they want. That never works. All you're just encouraging the, encouraging the monster. That's all you're doing. All right. Mitch McConnell said calls Biden president-elect the day of the Electoral College vote being held. And do, you, do they say, all right, good for Mitch McConnell that, you know, no, of course not. They hate Mitch McConnell. They hate the Republicans. They say, well, it's hard. It's, hard, it's hardly a profile of courage. And people are dead. I know Stelter and Berman apparently sound the same, but they do kind of sound the same. It's hardly a profile of courage. Um, what was he supposed to do? Why call him president-elect Biden before he's actually formally the president-elect? This is a United States senator. There were legal challenges making their way through the court. There still are legal challenges making their way through the courts. But you see, it's, it's not enough. They tell you right now, admit that they're just say Biden's the president and, and tell us that there was no fraud. We can all be friends. Just say that there wasn't fraud and that Biden really won. One fair and square. No cheating whatsoever. We'll like you then. I guarantee you. If you do that, if you were to profess to, you know, your coworkers, or if you were to say online to someone you're having a debate over politics with, you know what? You're right. Biden didn't. Act, there wasn't cheating to help him win. There was no fraud. This was totally fair. And uh, they'll say, ha ha, you, you lost. You suck. It's all it's all over for you. You you know, you dumb Trumper like they're, they don't they don't want to be fair minded to you at all. So when they pretend that that's where this is coming from, it's a trap. It's a trap. It's the guy who you walk past on the street who says, hey, man, I'm I'm having a really hard time here. And, you know, I just I just could you I just can you can you just give me a dollar? I, I swear I just I, I need a dollar for bus fare and and, you know, then I'll be fine. And you say, all right, buddy. And you go for your wallet. And he goes, no. And he pulls out a knife and he says, I'll just take your wallet. Thanks so much. That's how the Democrats play this game. Do not forget it. But also don't forget that Trump's not going anywhere either way. They're starting to realize this with two. Even Romney knows it. Play 18. Well, I think uh, President Trump will continue to have substantial influence on the party. And I think if you, if you look at the people who are rumored to be thinking of running in, in 2024, besides uh, the president, uh, those are people who are, are trying to appeal to kind of a populist approach. Um, uh, so I don't think Trumpism is going away. Uh, but I hope that we can have disagreements over policy and a vision of our respective parties without continuing to promote a, a, a narrative which puts democracy itself in jeopardy. And when you tell people that voting doesn't work and that democracy can't work because we don't have legitimate elections, that's a very dangerous thing to be saying. No one says that democracy doesn't work. I mean, he, he, now he's just creating straw men. We're saying that when Democrats change major rules in an election to create mail-in balloting, which, are, which leaves the door wide open for fraud, and then there's all these really sketchy numbers and all these affidavits, we got questions and we want answers. Oh, but why are you threatening our democracy? Democrats were arguing for faithless electors in 2016. Do you remember that? The Democrats were arguing 
for the election to be nullified in 2016. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, just for your viewers out there, um, I, I know one of uh, the individuals who we just saw getting vaccinated is planning on traveling after the second dose. I, I, th- this is a source of confusion, but no, uh, this is one of the misperceptions here. Just because you get vaccinated with that second dose does not mean you should be participating in things like traveling in the middle of an out-of-control pandemic or that you're liberated from masks. Mm-hmm. Everything still applies until all of us get the two-dose regimen. We don't think that's going to happen until June, July. But And again, this goes back to what we just talked about, Chuck. We don't know if just getting the vaccination prevents serious illness or does it also prevent you from getting infection um, entirely, meaning you can still get infected with the virus potentially and pass it on to others. So really, really critical. Don't let your guard down just because you got vaccinated. You still might be able to get infected with the virus and pass on others. So please keep that in mind. So there's a lot they don't know. And the response to what they don't know is you can't have basic liberties and freedoms back. You can't live your life because they don't know. So let's just err on the side of continued isolation, depression, destruction of small businesses till at least next summer until the virus is zero. None of us are safe. None of us are safe. This mentality is outrageous. Uh, Unfortunately, it is the consensus mentality among the elites, among Democrats, among social media giants. They will censor you, as they have done to me, for even questioning this. We got another buddy, though, who also questions it and sees the damage, the devastation uh, across the country and in his hometown area of Boston. Jerry Callahan is with us now. He is the host of the Jerry Callahan podcast, longtime Boston radio legend. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Hey, Buck, how's it going? I'm all right, man, but I'm worried because I think that the lockdown left is already showing us that they have they have no intention of letting us start to go back to normal life until at least next summer. And and others are saying until this time next year already. And it seems to me that no matter how much uh, we can show that the data doesn't support some of the things they're doing and what they're doing is catastrophic for millions of people who are going bankrupt. Their businesses are going under. They just don't seem to care, Jerry. They think they've got all the answers. No. It is frightening, Buck, and it's getting worse. And uh, today on my podcast, we developed, we came up with a new word. We've heard of Karens. We all know what a Karen is. Well, now we have Guptas. Guptas are uh, cable TV doctors who don't ever want this to end, who are literally telling us you will not be liberated. I mean, that, that that's kind of a scary word. It should be, at least, that we're not going to liberate you from all these restrictions and these rules. Um, and you're going to have to continue wearing a mask and you're going to have to stay out of restaurants and bars and, and don't travel. I mean, he literally says you're not going to be able to travel even after you get the vaccine. Well, wh- what is the point of the vaccine? It's it's bizarre. And I think you and I have uh, agreed on this for a while now that they're just they're never going to let this go. They're going to continue to try to keep us under their control forever. Well, that's that's where I wanted to go next, because I think that we should establish a kind of philosophical understanding right now of what we're actually facing here, because let's just say, uh, for example, that we were to listen to everything that these various blue check MDs who go on on the different cable channels, the Dr. Fauci, who I honestly think is a disaster and 
and just I don't know if he's not that bright. I don't know what his problem is. His judgment is horrible. I think it's more that he's a coward, actually, than he's dumb. But you look at where this all goes, Jerry, and the moment that we start seeing stories in, let's say, May or June about, you know, there's going to be some relaxation. The cases are way down. We've got, you know, 50 million Americans vaccinated, 100 million Americans vaccinated. I can almost see right now you're going to see stories about. But what about mutations? What about covid 20? What about covid 21? We have to keep these things, you know, ready to go here because the moment and then I think people realize that if there's a zero risk to your health standard that these people can enforce and shut down your business and keep you away from relatives on the holidays, if that's the standard, they can use that standard going forward for other things, too. Yeah, and just and once they're done with the mutations of the virus, you know, and I know what we're moving on to. And uh, John Kerry will be leading the way and it'll be. We have to do these things to control climate change. It's for your own good. And I'm telling you, I don't know if you agree with me on this, Buck, because you're in New York City. I'm in Boston. I'm kind of disappointed in the level of compliance and the just the, the docile submission of so many people. I'm out every day. I'm, I'm running or walking the dog. And when I'm by myself, I'm not wearing a mask because why would I? Let me tell you, everybody else is. They are all going along with this and they're accepting these measures, even if they make no sense. See, I'm. It's one thing if they tell you you must do whatever because of this reason, and they give it and they explain it. Well, here's what happened yesterday in Boston. The mayor shut all gyms for the next three weeks. I mean, they'd already been living with all kinds of uh, restrictions and you, you know, limited hours and space. And he just said, we're going to close all gyms for three weeks. And you know what the reason is? He didn't have one. He literally does not have one. They're not a hotspot. They're not a vector. I could give you the numbers. It's unbelievable. They do not. Uh, uh, there's no evidence that the the, the disease, the virus is transmitted in gyms. He just said, we're locking you down because that's what we did last time. We did a lockdown and we're going to follow that protocol. So he puts people out of work, puts people out of business, essentially, three uh, 10 days before Christmas and doesn't really give them a reason. And if that doesn't outrage I mean, it should outrage everyone as much as it does me and you. And it doesn't. And and that I don't know, that just bothers me. Well, one thing I think and and we're speaking to Jerry Callahan. He is the host of the Jerry Callahan podcast, longtime Boston radio legend. Uh, Jerry, you know, we've had a couple of things coinciding here. One is that the the lockdown left turned this into a kind of anti-Trump thing that this was about, that there was this political right. separation. And that's why I'm running around now saying, forget about Trump. For This isn't about Trump. This is about freedom. This is about what's right. true. This is about free discourse and individual liberty and businesses that should be surviving. And, and, and there's still this mentality, I think, of, oh, no, but that's what Trumpers say or something. It has nothing to do, in my mind, this has nothing to do with Trump. This is about what's, what's true and what's happening around us. And then there's also the most concerted, suppression campaign i've ever seen in social media i mean i i've been formally reprimanded by the social media giants for sharing cdc studies for sharing things that i just say well look at this doesn't this raise the following questions and they'll put these you know fact checks that aren't actually checking any facts they just say well this lacks context dr fauci said otherwise Oh, I'm sorry. So now so now if Dr. Fauci says something, it's a fact check. That's fascinating because he told us at the beginning of the pandemic when this was 
considered to be far more dangerous, actually, by the individual case fatality that it was. Don't wear masks. That was Fauci this year. But now he's a one man fact check. Oh, that's fascinating. He, he told us on March 9th, Buck, to don't don't hesitate to go on a cruise. Dr. Fauci told us to go, you know, go ahead, go on a cruise, have fun. And by the way, go on Tinder and find love if you're if that's what you're looking for. Dr. Fauci gave you his blessing and we know he's been wrong about everything and yet you can't challenge him. It is bizarre. And to me, it is it, it flies in the face of, you know, what we see every day on the streets. I'm, I'm walking around. You're walking around. You're seeing these restaurants and businesses and gyms just closed up, boarded up, gone forever. So you try to point out this real ancillary uh, uh, effects here, this, this real collateral damage. And it's like, yeah, but. Um, you know, it's a virus or, or you know, people, you know, they give you the number, uh, 3,000 dead. And you say, but do you know how many people are unemployed or you know, on drugs or alcohol or their business is destroyed? And it's, it's, it's almost irrelevant. They don't want to hear it. They just say, yeah, but the virus. It's like the only thing that matters when your, your eyeballs tell you that there's a lot of other things going on that just are really, really bad for, for, for society as a whole. What are you seeing in, in Boston about this? Because in New York, we've had a couple of people and in New Jersey, too. In New Jersey, there's Atlas Gym. They've been telling everyone they got a one point two million dollars and counting uh, f- fines from the, the city, from the state of New Jersey. In New York, we had this uh, this pub and restaurant on Staten Island where the guys wouldn't shut down, even though they were told they were in the red zone or the orange zone or whatever it was. And uh, it, well, we call it, those babies. Pete, Dav- Pete Davidson and I say those they're a bunch of babies. But go ahead. Yeah, I, I heard that guy. It's it's nice if you're in media and making a ton of money and can work remotely and or, you know, not have to worry about a paycheck at all that you get to just tell people that are losing their businesses, losing you know decades of work in some cases. And And the other thing that I would say, Jerry, is that when we see this. The chance that any one individual restaurant is a real problem in this pandemic based on New York City's official numbers is very, very low. They say they think there's one percent of the spread they can trace to restaurants. One percent. We're shutting down 10,000 restaurants. I believe. Go ahead. It's, it's much like the gyms. They don't like that Antilles gym. They have zero. They've had zero members test positive and they've had something like a million visits since they opened up illegally but you're right restaurants it's like one percent gyms it's much much less than one percent so again they're telling you to do things that make no sense they it's one thing to tell you to do something it's another thing to not give you a reason it's the same thing here they came up with these new rules because there was a spike and we know that most of the cases are at home or nursing homes or hospitals so they decide you know here's an idea let's make everyone go home and get out of the restaurants and get out of the gyms. And here yesterday, the gym uh, restaurants were already operating at a limited capacity. Yesterday, they closed all bar seating. No reason given, just we decided we have to do something here to make it look like we're uh, trying to protect you from the evil virus. So we're not going to let people sit at the bar anymore. And they're just going to keep coming up with new measures until every damn restaurant is gone. I mean, it's and the last number I saw was 5,000 restaurants in the state, restaurants and bars that have gone under. It's obviously higher in New York and across the country. And it doesn't seem to affect these, you know, these, these uh, public you know, office holders who risk nothing, who sacrifice nothing. They just sit there in their office and say, you know what? 
I'm just going to put another, you know, thousand people out of business and put another countless thousands of people out of work before Christmas. And they don't they don't bat an eye. It's remarkable. It is. Jerry Callahan, I'm with you on this stuff, man. Keep the faith and, and hold strong up there in Boston. Uh, go check out the Jerry Callahan podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Jerry, thanks so much for joining us, man. We appreciate it. Thanks, Buck. Good talking to you.